Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. The scripture this morning is from Isaiah 9, 2, 5 through 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. How are we doing? Good. Are we well fed from Thanksgiving? Did y'all roll in here this morning? Well, believe it or not, we're officially in Christmas season. Are we excited about that? Are we good with that? Uh, I know some of us, we kind of jumped the gun a little bit. You know, we, we know the established order. It's Halloween, it's Thanksgiving, and then after the turkey is put in the fridge, then we can bring out our Christmas decorations. But some of you, I know, broke that rule. We've already had our confession, but who, who already had their Christmas stuff already out? We usually, the Charbonneaux are usually really good about not doing that, but this year we were a little impatient. Those storage bins in our attic came down uh, a little bit earlier this year. Maybe, maybe it was just the, our idea of let's just try to speed up this year. Let's get 2021 behind us. Anyone else there? Well, regardless, Christmas season has officially begun. It's time for us to dust off those ornaments. It's time for those of you who have your Williams-Sonoma stove-boiling potpourri things, go ahead and start doing that. It's time to start watching Elf. It's time also to queue up Perry Como Christmas on Spotify. And looking at this crew, maybe you're, you might be more of a Sufjan Stevens Christmas crew. And those two groups do not mesh. It's either your Perry Como or Sufjan Stevens. Uh, but as Christmas officially begins, Christmas season, our world tends to rush off in this frantic pace of Christmas parties, white elephant exchanges, kind of the nostalgia that we rehearse every single year in Christmas time. People rush off to stores and malls, if people still go to malls, that is. And underneath those pile of bills, the busyness, the culture of nostalgia, we have a tendency of giving just a glancing kind of consideration of what the story of Christmas truly is. So instead of that, I'd like to invite the vine to enter into a different type of season. One where we don't speed up, but we actually slow down. One where we don't just cover our schedules full, jam-pack it full of different things, but we actually prepare room in our schedule and our time to do what the season of Advent, which is the season that the church practices, uh, to do what Advent season is supposed to do, which is, is a season where we wait. And Americans are not good at waiting, are we? 
That's not something we practice or we enjoy. And so what I'd like to do is invite us in a different kind of season where, uh, where we begin to uncover the beautiful truths of the Christmas story, hence why we're doing this series called Hidden Christmas, as we seek to make the truths of this Christmas story less hidden. And why this matters is that the way in which Jesus comes to us is deeply profound. It actually gives us a snapshot of the whole story of Jesus' life, his love, what people call the gospel. What we see in the story of Christmas is actually this keyhole to see the whole gospel. I like how Tim Keller said this. To understand Christmas is to understand basic Christianity, the gospel. So we're going to slow down this season, and we're going to return to the Christmas story, believing that the truths that we find here in this story can still direct our lives and still hold power for our faith together. So today, what I'd like to do is uncover the theme that we find in the Christmas story of that of darkness. It's the theme of darkness. It's interesting to me that most of the pictures that we have of Christmas include darkness. Um, so when we think about Christmas, most of those pictures are dark. We have, whether it's shepherds out in the fields waiting, and then all of a sudden they are encounter the, this heavenly angels in the middle of the night. We also have the magi following a star. We have the typical manger scene where we find uh, Jesus there in the manger with wide-eyed parents trying to figure out what is going on here. All of these pictures are pictures of darkness. And even the pictures that we have culturally of Christmas usually have night. We have you know, Santa whirling around the world. We have kids just trying to fall asleep. We have Kevin, he's fighting the wet bandits in Home Alone. You know, like we drive around our neighborhoods looking at Christmas lights, waiting for the sun to, sun to go down to do so. All of these are pictures of darkness, of night. But that didn't start with Macaulay Culkin. It actually began um, in the Mediterranean where the, this holiday was Begun, where people began to think of around the birth of Chris, uh, Jesus, we actually have December is the darkest time of the year. The same thing with Europe. And so we have this practice in the darkest time of year. And the presence of darkness is not just decorative. It's actually deeply symbolic. It's deeply symbolic of the human experience and our experience with God. Because we know that there is this truth that this world is a dark place. There's the darkness of sickness that are found in, in this pandemic. There's the, the darkness of vulnerability that it seems that we are experiencing more and more that we're confronted with. There's the darkness of relational turmoil, the hatred and disdain that's kind of like the norm that we're living in, the social disdain that's rampant around us. Darkness of social and racial disparity where it seems like the balance of justice often tips towards those of power and privilege. We have the tragic and astonishing prevalence of sexual abuse, darkness, refugees fleeing homeland in hopes of finding some sort of refuge in this world. The list goes on and on and on, but we know this to be true, that this world is a dark place. And this darkness is not just found in, in our world. It's in the collective soul that we hold, it seems like today. Professor and author, and I consider prophet, uh, Cornell West, he would say, 
we certainly live in a moment of escalating spiritual blackout. That's a phrase that he often repeats, a spiritual blackout. There's a relative eclipse of integrity, honesty, decency, courage. And it doesn't seem like we're figuring things out. It doesn't seem like we are figuring out how to make things better. In spite of all of our technological advances, our intellect, all our apps that we have, our moral high ground that we tend to walk on, we aren't able to find our way out. We're not able to hack our way out of this, bomb our way out of this, or do a good PR uh, campaign to spin a different story. There is darkness in this world, and there's darkness in which we carry in our own souls. Yet, the Christmas story is the story of darkness. 2,000 years ago, people in Israel were living in a dark place. They were waiting for some sort of savior, some sort of deliverer. They were living underneath the uh, Roman uh, rule, and they felt the boot of oppression upon them. That was like their experience. They were occupied by Roman foreigners there in Israel, and that presence began to change their society. And I just want you to consider 2,000 years ago, kind of the mirror of today, so in that, in that society, some people just accommodated to the Roman presence. They accommodated to culture. Some others just kind of embraced the uh, social pluralism that was going on. Others had a deep fear of how everything was changing. And so they ramped things up, whether in militaristic ways or in, in religious ways. They kind of began ramping things up, and they took up arms to oppose change. Any of this sound familiar? Contention broke out, even among the religious community where there's bickering and fighting and judging of one another. Factions began to fight against one another, all in the name of God. It was a dark time. Yet in the midst of that darkness, there were some people who, in this place of waiting, held on to hope. Held on to hope with this mixture of faith and perhaps doubt, they couldn't seem to let go of the promises that they held, and perhaps they even heard their grandparents hold that there would one day be a Savior who would meet us in the darkness of our life. They would perhaps recite Isaiah 9, which we heard just a little bit ago. A little bit ago. Listen to these words. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulder, the rod of their oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle, and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. As I heard Andrew Fike uh, say during the scripture reading, that's strong. (laughs) <laughs> but then it turns, like in the midst of all that darkness where there's, there's, this, there's this oppressive rule, where there's this yoke and there's this bar, where there's this innocent blood that's been shed that, that stains the warrior's clothes and boot, then all of a sudden there's a light that breaks forth. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, 
and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. This writing comes from darkness, but it is bound by hope. Did you hear those words that there is faith that there will be a day where light breaks into darkness, where those people who have been walking in deep darkness, they will experience a light, and that light will shatter the yoke. The oppressor's garments that will be soaked in blood, they will be burned. And how will that take place? Well, for unto us a child is born, a son is given. In place of the world's militaristic, oppressive, and violent rule, God is not bringing a stronger warrior, a bigger sword, a more harsh ruler. Instead, there will be one known as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. And that kingdom of peace will never end. Do you see the hope in those words? And when that takes place, people walking in darkness will then see a great light. This is the message that is typically hidden in Christmas. It's covered by the tinsel and the busyness and the eggnog. (laughs) It's that the Christmas season is a season where we're invited to sit in the darkness of our lives. Why? Because if there's anything we know about the story of Christmas, it is that Jesus is surprisingly found in the dark, in the darkness, that our Savior comes in the midst of the darkness to show that there is a light that can be brought even there. Even when you think about how Jesus came 2,000 years ago, think about that, how he didn't come like as we might anticipate in the Christmas story. Instead, he comes from these parents who are disgraced socially and religiously. They're covered in shame and guilt. I love this picture. This is uh, Mother Mary there with Jesus, and Joseph is passed out by seeing the birth, I guess. He's asleep over here on the side. But he was, they were not, Jesus did not come in power or prestige or privilege Jesus came in the midst of darkness, in the midst of a dark time. He entered into this world in a feeding trough, in a borrowed barn. He entered through darkness of Roman oppression. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep deep darkness, a light has dawned. On this Christmas night, the heavens declared that with the stars above that Jesus was there A choir of angels couldn't contain their excitement and belted out their joy. Light broke into the heavens in that way too. And common shepherds, they heard of this beautiful promise of hope. And people who were waiting and longing for a savior, they are the ones who saw the great light in the midst of darkness. This is the hard truth of Christmas. We will miss out on seeing the light of Christ if we are not willing to wait in darkness. If Jesus was surprisingly found in the darkness of this world 2,000 years ago, perhaps Jesus is still waiting for us in this Advent season 
in the unexpected darkness of our own lives and our own society if we have the courage to actually wait there and look for Christ's presence. John, in his gospel, he introduced Jesus by saying these words in John 1, 9 through 10. He said, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He, Jesus, was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. John, in, in, this, in this way, gives us, in these beginning words of Jesus, a beautiful promise and a beautiful warning for us. What is the promise? The promise for us is that there will be a light that comes into the world, but the problem is, the warning is, we have this capability, the tragic capability, not to recognize where that light is. Can we have eyes to see this Christmas to recognize the light of hope that Jesus provides us? I think sometimes we expect and look for God's presence in the blissful, the blissful moments, in the joyous moments of our lives, and that is true. But what about the, those places in our life where we feel the most vulnerable, where we want to just avoid and deny and cover up? What if those places of vulnerability is actually the place of great strength where we can find that Jesus is uniquely present there? So my daughter, Allie, is four, and like many kids, she's afraid of the dark. Do y'all remember being afraid of the dark growing up? I definitely do. So every night we have this, like, this ritual that we do. It's this wrestling, wrestling match. We tuck her in, and even though she has this ladybug, this awesome ladybug nightlight that projects stars on her ceiling, um, I didn't have that growing up. I had like a Donald Duck. You plug it into the outlet, and it kind of sometimes lights up. But she has this ladybug thing, and yet she has this cow alarm clock that when the cow's asleep, you need to stay in bed. When the cow's awake, hypothetically, then you get out of bed, right? Hypothetically. Doesn't work in our home. Um, but we have all, all of this going on in this routine, but that doesn't seem to be enough because there is a place in her room where fear resides. It just it's dislocated there. Any guess where that is? The closet. Hasn't it always been the case, this scary, dark closet, right? So not only do we have that, but we also have to turn on the closet light. And then the negotiations begin. How much do we open that door? You know, is it a little bit? Is a lot? Allie wants it a lot. We want it a little bit because what's the point of having these, like, stars on the ceiling if you can't actually see it? It's too bright. And so we have this negotiation, and it doesn't matter. I don't know why we try to argue about it, because, like, as soon as we leave that room, what does she do? Opens up that closet door as far as she can, and we go in there to tuck her in in the night, and it's, like, bright. It's, like, (laughs) it might as well be a daytime, you know, in her room. Um, You know, for me, when I tuck her in, I think about just this this inability for us to... uh, be able to have this relationship with darkness. What would you say to Ali, who was afraid of the dark? What do we say when, to those children? Um, Stephen Sondheim, tragically, we just lost him. He wrote into the woods, he said these words. How do you say to your child in the night, nothing's all black and then nothing's all white. How do you say it will be all right when you know that it might, might, might not be true? What do you do? 
So what do we do with the darkness of our world, whether it's when we talk to our children in our own life? What do we do with our relationship to the darkness in our, in our world and the darkness that we hold in our own soul? Christmas gives us this surprising lesson. What if our rest and our salvation waits for us in the darkness? Episcopal priest and author Barbara Brown Taylor, she wrote a book about the spirituality of darkness, and she, she wrote this beautiful reminder, two quotes. I have learned things in the dark that I could never have learned in the light, things that have saved my life over and over again, so that there is really only one logical conclusion. I need darkness as much as I need light. Later on, she wrote, New life starts in the dark, whether it is a seed in the ground, a baby in a womb, or Jesus in the tomb, it starts in the dark. If it is true that we do need the dark as much as the light, the question that we need to sit with is, where is that darkness right now in my life? If we're entering into this Advent season, a season of waiting, a season where we become familiar with our longings again, if that is true, where is the presence of darkness in your life? Where is the space in your life that it requires faith and courage to enter? It requires faith and courage to sit and to wait, hoping that there's a Savior who hears your prayers. We might think that God is waiting for us in the light of our world, in the happy, blissful places of our world where people are put together, but what if, in fact, our healing is waiting for us if we're willing to follow our Savior further into the darkness? Whether it is that chair that is empty this holiday season or the frustration of another Christmas season underneath the backdrop of a pandemic, or the emotional toll of existing in a chronically anxious society, maybe the financial vulnerability that's getting real, our temptation is, could be to blast the darkness with Mariah Carey Christmas and eggnog, but our Christmas story teaches us that Jesus was not found in a party, in a palace, or in a sterile hospital. Our Savior came to us in a dingy barn, sleeping with in a feeding trough in the margins of society, on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light had dawned. So this season, my encouragement would be to prepare him room. Rather than flinging open the closet door with the light on, may we learn to sit in the darkness where even a single candle can burn a candle that we call a candle of hope can illuminate enough. Can you learn to sit where you feel most vulnerable, where you feel weak, and pray that a Savior would show up, a deliverer would be present? Can you rest in that darkness long enough so that your eyes could adjust to perceive that there might be a light waiting for you there? For unto us a child is born, a son is given. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about the Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to the Vine's ministry, 
go to our website at thevineaustin.org.